God, we're so grateful for worship that you marinate and prepare our hearts for dropping in uh, what you want to deposit today through the sermon. God, we thank you for 
this time and that you are among us, that you are a God who brings joy and we ask that you would open our hearts, that you just give us this openness to receive from you what you want to bring us today, Lord. So we just posture ourselves and we again just thank you that you are um, so present in this time and that we can just reach out and know that you're with us. We bless the sermon. Uh, we bless everyone out there to receive what you, uh, the Lord has for you today. In the name of Jesus, amen. One of the things the staff team has been missing um, from not getting together on Sundays is just fielding questions from the crowd, the banter, talking to people, making comments. So we have invited uh, anyone out there in the crowd to send in phone videos with questions or evocative comments that you have. And our question this week comes from young John Yamamoto, who asks a typically insightful and timely question. John? Hey, Uncle Jordan. This is John. And I was just wondering how you keep your head up during hard times or some strategies that you've used to persevere through them. Uh, thanks, John, for that great and on-point question. Jesus said that in this world we will have trials and tribulation, but fear not, he said, I have overcome the world. Our job, our mission is to fear not, as is to live in faith. Uh, but John asked the question very wisely because he asked for strategies to pull off the mission. He's asking for the method that goes with the mission. And there are probably <coughs> good scriptural uh, tips uh, that I could give for um, getting through difficult times, scriptural encouragements, but what I'd like to share is uh, personal tips. Uh, many of you out there in Blue Water Nation know that uh, historically I've gone through some very depressed times in my own life. And during the worst of my depressive episodes during my 20s, I came up with four rules of the road for getting through difficult times. And these are things that helped me very much. So I just want to offer those. Um, these are my methods um, to, to you all out there. Number one, during difficult times, don't panic. It will be better in the morning. A lot of times we do great damage to ourselves when we just freak out. And a lot of getting through difficult times is just avoiding the biggest potholes. Sometimes you have to just stop thinking for a while, go to bed, tomorrow is another day. Uh, point number two, remember the Sabbath. The Sabbath commandment was one of the first commandments that God gave his people. He said you have to have a day of rest and a day unto the Lord. It's not just about resting, it's about celebrating. It's about acting as if everything is okay. Almost like rehearsing for a better time, which was how I looked at it. When I was very, very depressed, I would take Saturday, um, Sunday afternoons and just pretend that things were okay. I would exercise my enjoyment capacity just remind myself how to be functional and human. It was a meaningful ritual, as the Sabbath always is. Number three, exercise and eat right. Don't betray your body unless you want your body to betray you. We live inside of a vessel. Take care of it. Keep your house clean. Keep things in order. That in and of itself is an act of faith, and it will keep you strong and perhaps even remind your spirit that you're strong enough to keep going. And finally, number four, a country phrase. Make hay while the sun shines. Uh, what that means, uh, 
if you if you grow hay, you can't harvest hay on rainy days because then the hay will be wet in the bales and it will spoil. It's only on dry, sunny days that you can harvest your hay, that you can do your work. Here's how I understand it in my life, in my uh, difficult seasons of life. Some days are going to be too hard to be super productive, but sometimes will be better. What you need to do in life is to develop the wisdom to do your productive work when you can and to give yourself grace when you can't. When I was very, very depressed, I was only functional maybe three or four days a week. I was in a very competitive grad school program at the time and I would only work on those days and I would only be able to work three or four hours a day, but I committed to doing what I could and I ended up finishing my dissertation, my meaningful work in what for my university was actually a very quick time period. You're not perfect, but you are purposeful still. You might not be able to do your work as perfectly as you wish, but you can still do productive things. You can still do purposeful work. And in your purpose lies your power. Still do purposeful things, even if you feel junk. And then somehow your purposeful work will lead you forward into a more fruitful and joyful season. It always works that way. In your purpose lies your power. Something for you to consider and I suggest it to you. Thanks, John. That was a great question and it led to such a useful uh, time of reflection on how to uh, get through this time. Uh, well, if you're like me, uh, you have a lot of questions and this time in the world, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on and we just don't know what's gonna happen next. Uh, as a way for us to engage with you, we would love to invite your questions. Uh, what makes a good question that you could submit, you ask? Well, I would say uh, ask the question that you're really curious about, um, that you're wondering about, or maybe it's a nagging question that you've just kind of been going through in your head. Don't ask the question that you think you're supposed to ask. Ask what you're really curious about. Uh, so we'll do a round of questions in here. Uh, Kwok, what would you ask? Uh, yeah, I want to ask Jordan, uh, when was the last time he ate meat? Okay. Julie? I would ask what he's doing to bring joy in his life in this sh shelter at home. Mm. Nick? Uh, when's regular service coming back? Cool. Ben? Well, I would ask him, uh, hey Jordan, what's your favorite coffee? Jordan? Uh, I would ask, uh, what's up with the proposed church property deal? Cool. So it's a chance to hear from you, uh, to connect us more as a church in this time in which we are separated, and it's a time to kind of field some questions. So send in your questions uh, via email, antonio at bluewatermission.org. Uh, tape yourself with your phone horizontally and make it about 15 seconds max. All right, we're going to continue our worship with our offering. Uh, so if you are new or visiting, please feel no obligation to give this morning, but consider this worship service our offering to you. We would love to stay in touch with you. So uh, go to our website, bluewatermission.org, scroll to the bottom and sign up with your email address. I want to send a special welcome uh, to those uh, 
that are joining us overseas and on the American continent. Uh, you are a part of our tribe. And finally, let's pray for the kids. Kids, could you stand up? Oh, Father, uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, for our children. We thank you for their questions, uh, the questions that they are putting out into the world. Uh, Lord, may you supply your answers uh, with your love and your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I just wanna be, uh, I just wanna be a real person. You know, when this, when this life wraps up, uh, I want to be able to, to feel like uh, I, didn't, I didn't fake it. And uh, that's always hard to put our whole heart into something. Uh, that's a rare human skill. We're going through uh, the book of Acts in our sermon series, uh, which is a great book of uh, the early Christians and how they invented the church, how they basically invented doing faith as a community in the world. And they made their invention during uh, uh, chaotic circumstances and often troubling times. So it's a very timely book for us to be studying. And today we're taking a look at a story out of Acts chapter 5. It is a great story and it is a terrible story uh, about the spirit of generosity in the early church. We've been talking uh, a lot in this sermon series about the huge role that generosity played among the early Christians. Uh, one of the first things they did is they invented the community of faith and, and, and applied the things that Jesus had taught them while he walked on the earth was to create a super generous environment in which everybody shared their material possessions and everybody took care of one another during what was actually a very uh, materially trying time in that, that part of history. And, and throughout the, the limited number of chapters we've had so far in the book of Acts, we have found the author of Acts, Luke, just return time and time again to this theme. The Christians were generous with each other. The Christians were generous with each other. They took care of each other. He keeps emphasizing their great generosity. Um, it's as if he is inviting us to consider um, why generosity was so vital I was thinking about the how vital is generosity in the community of the faith. I think it's extremely vital because it's us, you know, humans acting out the love and grace of God. And particularly to people who are struggling or non-believers, I think when they see that, you know, they, they see God working in us and either that's going to inspire them to want more of that, or, you know, it's going to stir something, you know, I'm sure we've all encountered that at some point in our lives, you know, um, at work, one of my coworkers even said that about me, like, what, like, what, what, what do you have in your life? Like, what is it? Like, it seems like you have it all. <laughs> and I'm like, it's, it's my faith. Sorry, generosity and selfishness don't, don't mix. And especially if you introduce an element of deception to it. So we pick up the story in Acts chapter 5. We're going to read Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 13. You can follow along in your Bibles at home or we will throw the scripture up on the screen. 
what was happening was that the Christians were selling things that they owned and they were bringing the money to the apostles and then the apostles were using that money, uh, distributing it around the church to anyone who had need so that people were taken care of while they pursued the advancement of the Jesus movement on earth. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. So evidently what Ananias did is that he sold the property, he brought part of the money and told the apostles that he was given all of his money to the church, but he held back a portion for himself and faked it. When Ananias heard this, when he heard Peter call him out, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look. The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. So, man, that is kind of a fascinating story. The church is being really generous. You got this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They had some property. They sold it off. They gave some proceeds to the church, which in and of itself is a fairly generous thing to do. They're sharing their money with the poor, but they somehow lied about it. They created the impression that they were giving everything they had when in fact they were reserving a little bit, being a little cautious about their own material condition. And in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But the fact that they kind of misrepresented what they were doing uh, caused some trouble to put it mildly and when they pulled this off, Peter, presumably through knowledge that God was giving him supernaturally, uh, figured out what was really going on. He called out Ananias and he called out Sapphira. But this wasn't just like calling them to be honest. They called him out in a way that, that triggered some repercussions. And in fact, the Lord took their lives on the spot. And I don't know about you, but to me, that seems really harsh. How does it seem to you guys? 
That's brutal. Scary. That is harsh, man. And it bothers me because in some way it does not fit the image of God uh, that I have. You know, God uh, throughout all of the Gospels and throughout the beginning of the book of Acts has shown himself to be generous with people, himself to be forgiving, himself to be full of grace. And this just seems like really judgmental, really severe. I mean, this is, this is some severe uh, discipline. So you just have to ask yourself, man, what is going on here that God should pull this off with this couple? Yeah, they're imperfect, but aren't we all? You know, at least they were giving some of their money. Uh, why couldn't God cut them a little slack here in the early church? Um, and I think there are a number of principles at play. Uh, one, one, one is this. When stakes are high, standards are high. And this was essentially um, the time in which the church was being invented. Foundations were being built. The power of the Holy Spirit during these days was extreme. There were miracles being performed, as it says at the end of this, uh, of this story. The apostles were healing people. Crowds were getting excited. The Spirit was poured out. And so it's as if the Lord has to be, you know, extra, um, extra careful that people don't misunderstand things here at the very beginning. This is a precedental story. Evidently, you know, it's, it, 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 it is setting a precedent that the Lord is jealous about. And the way I would describe what happened here is that it is God inoculating the church against religiosity. It is God inoculating the church against hypocrisy. He doesn't want anybody uh, to fake it. You know, you can be a lot of things as a Christian. You can follow a Jesus. You can follow Jesus no matter what state you're in. You can follow Jesus as a sinner. God doesn't want you to sin, but if you have sin in your life, hey, jump in anyway. God will work with you where you're at, right? Uh, you can be a beginner. It's okay to be a Christian even though you don't have all of your questions answered. Jesus is constantly inviting people to ask him questions and, and trying to get to the question behind your question. Uh, you can be a seeker. You can jump in even though you're still exploring. You can come along with the church and just kind of see how it goes. That's fine. You can be generous as a Christian with everything that you own. Or you can be tight and you can be careful uh, as you figure out how God is going to provide for you and whether or not he's reliable in that sense. But here's what you can't be as a Christian. You can't be fake. You're imperfect. Just be honest about being imperfect. You could be a little scared. Just don't pretend that you're not scared. Uh, when people pretend, you know, I, I call it religiosity, and the, uh, this kind of pretension uh, in particular, they're pretending to be extremely good Christians. They're pretending outwardly to have a whole bunch of faith. They're pretending to be sacrificially generous. But in reality, there's something about themselves that they're hiding. And that spirit is really cancerous in, in people's lives. And it's really cancerous in the church. 
if you know anything about Jesus, if you studied the way that he interacts with people in the Gospels, you realize that Jesus is all about grace, all about God's radical generosity. He welcomes you as you are. He forgives whatever it is that he needs to forgive. But the requirement is that nobody pretends you're all that. Nobody you know, pretends you're something that you're not. Even in that way, we're not perfect. All of us are perhaps a little bit pretentious. But from time to time, when the stakes are high, God might have to call you on that. He might have to call me on that. And, and that's what's going on, on here. You know, God just wants to remind the church that it is not healthy to pretend that you're better than you are. Simple as that. Still, I have to admit that when I read the story, you know, I don't know if I would have played it the way that God plays it and just, you know, grabbing these people's lives on the spot in such dramatic fashion. So what I do when I'm wrestling with a passage, when something bugs me about it, what I often do is that I imagine myself there in the story. Imagine yourself there that day milling about when this went down. Ananias and Sapphira are bringing in some gifts, which is really great. And then they die on the spot and you see it happen. You see it go down. Now think about this with me. Think about it. Consider at the end of the day or at the end of that week, having seen this transpire, what would your takeaway have been? What would have been the lasting sense for you? You know, if you're a member in the church and saw what happened to them, how would that affect you? And, you know, for me, if I found, found out about this, that here they were trying to give to the community and um, God just killed them, you know, it would really make me think before giving anything. Like, I would have to question, why am I doing this? And am I... Um, is this really coming from a genuine place and, um, or am I just trying to look good in front of my peers? My father used to tell me, he said, you better straighten up and fly right. <laughs> That's how I would feel. Better get a grip on your life, man. Do it, do it the right way. So I think I would have been freaked out because there's some consistency in the story. They're dead. But I also was probably would be trying to wrestle through what what am I supposed to do with this and, and yeah. what's what's the true account you know if I can't go directly to to the disciples or apostles and say you know what what the heck happened you know I probably would be trying to piece a lot together I project myself in the story and I ask myself well you know would I have been scared yeah probably would I have been angry at God to see him pull off something like this? Well, maybe, but then I start to get real with myself. You know, would I have said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm angry at God, forget him. No, I, I probably wouldn't have done that. Um, I don't think you could have participated in this story and said to yourself, well, there's no such thing as God, or I don't need to be dealing with God even if you were in the first instance kind of angry with him, 
Uh, I don't think you could have said to yourself something like, well, you know, this whole church thing is bunk. I'm just not into it. Or, you know, organized religion is nonsense or something like that. I don't think you could have said it in, in part because this moment is a very, well, non-religious, non-organized moment. It doesn't have anything to do with church structure or right. It has to do with people's character. I don't think you could have had any sort of response um, with the sense that um, you could dismiss what happened or you could dismiss the Jesus movement or you could dismiss the church because when you see a couple people drop dead in front of you, their lives taken by God with purpose and intent, that is a for real moment right there. Things just got really real for the church as if they weren't before. Consequences like this make things real. Consequences always make life real. Right now in the world, we're living through a season of consequence. We're feeling a lot of life and death pressure because of the virus. And now because of this very trying economic state that the world has found its way in. This is, this is for real. But man, when God acts with this sort of awesomeness, it's, it's really for real. Have you ever had one of those for real moments in life and your walk with God. I remember some of my early ones, the first time I personally encountered uh, the, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I really felt his presence. That was kind of a for real moment. It was, it was very awesome. It was wonderful. It was life expanding for me, but it was also kind of sobering. Like, wow, I have to deal with this now. This has to become part of me. Uh, I have to change the way I navigate the world. The first time I walked into a church in which uh, the minister was pausing to listen to the voice of God in real time, and I got the sense that the congregation was listening for God in real time. That was for real for me. And God spoke, and I saw some immediate fruit from it. And I, I remember thinking to myself, this has got to change the way I do church from here on this really got real. If God can talk to me, I have to listen. Um, at Blue Water Mission, uh, we have four distinctives. We've said this from the very beginning. If you've been around the church, maybe you know about our distinctives. There are lots of values in the kingdom of God. Uh, we emphasize four all of the time because we found that these four help us keep real. They help us to go through life in a way that's not faking. That's not fake. Uh, number one, anti-religiosity. We always try to major on grace, non-judgmentalism. Sin is a real thing, but everybody's got some, and God is ridiculously generous. We always try to take people uh, wherever they're at. That helps us to not fake being righteous. Right? It helps keep us real in that regard. Our number two distinctive is supernaturalism. We make space for God to do supernatural things in everything that we do uh, because we don't want to fake the kingdom of heaven on earth. Uh, and we don't want to fake the truth of a living God, that God is alive and interacts with us. A third distinctive is mission orientation. Life is for ministry. That's what our years on earth are for. We are called to a purpose. Uh, 
And we emphasize that because we don't want to fake Christian priorities. We don't want to live a Christian life wherein we're just trying to fit our Christianity conveniently into our too busy worldly lifestyle. No, you need a mission. You need a purpose and you need to know what that is and you need to do it all the time. Thinking like that helps us to not be fake. And then uh, distinctive number four is anti-materialism. Radical generosity with our material things. Because money is tied to so many things in life, isn't it? Uh, And we don't want to be fake people. And that requires that we not be fake with our money. It requires that we not give in to materialism. Jesus talked about money and wealth more than he talked about any other moral issue. He pounded it all the time, much as Luke keeps going back to material generosity in the book of Acts. Because it turns out that where your money is, there your heart is. Uh, You might often hear Christians say that... uh, Something like, show me your checkbook and I'll show you your heart. Uh, Whatever you do with your money says a lot about where your heart is. And it's always been that way. Money is how the world tends to get its hooks into us. That's why Jesus talked about it so often. I think that's probably a lot to do with why Luke is talking about it so often. What you do with your money tells me more about you than almost any other thing. That's just kind of a fact of life in this world. And the early Christians, in their lifestyle of radical material generosity with each other and with all needy people, they were proclaiming their freedom from the world. They were proclaiming their freedom in God who provides. And in this story of Ananias and Sapphira, we see that God was being extra careful in keeping them free. He didn't want hypocrisy to come in and to quench the radical material freedom that they were feeling. And yes, he acted pretty severely. But that made it real. Nobody in the church in the post-Ananias and Sapphira days could have escaped the sense that God was for real and that what they were doing was serious. If you belong to a church in which such tremendously real things are happening, it might scare you, but it also, well, it also frees you, you know, in a way. It tells you that that God is among you. And ultimately, that's a very good thing to know. I want to read the end of, uh, of that story again, uh, verses um, 12 and 13. You know, because after this happened, it says that the apostles went on to perform many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers met together in the temple in Solomon's colonnade. And here's, here's the verse that interests me. No one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded among the people. I love this description of the early church because everybody loved them. Everybody loved that they were powerful and doing miracles. And everybody loved that they were so ridiculously generous, that they were taking care of needy people. They were really into generosity and justice. But people were a little scared of 
you know, becoming part of the church. Why? Well, because they knew it was for real. They knew it was for real. They wanted to be with them. They wanted to be part of it. But they also had the sense that if they became part of it, it would for real change their lives. It would for real demand a different lifestyle than they had ever led before. And I think that's a sign of a really, really healthy community of faith. People want to join you, but they also know that it's going to mean something radical. A real church has its costs, just as a real church has its power. And people are attracted to the power. People are attracted to the virtue and the character of a, of a healthy church. But they should also realize that, well, the kingdom of God is a fairly demanding place as well. It requires something from us. I, I think of it this way. A good church has to be easy access. A good church has to be warm and inviting. And it also has to be entirely otherworldly. I mean, when you walk into a living church inhabited by the spirit of a living God, it should feel really different than any other place on the planet. And it should give you a little chicken skin in a sense. I have stepped into a different kingdom here. It's going to change me or I'm going to have to leave. One of the two. Both sides are true. When people walk into Blue Water Mission, even if they walk into online Blue Water Mission, I want them to say, wow, you guys are for real. I don't, I don't understand everything, but I understand that it's for real. Nobody's faking this. Nobody's being super religious. Everybody's being real. Um, money has a, has a lot to do with that. Uh, when people walk into Blue Water Mission, when they encounter the kingdom generally, I want them to say, you know, I can reject this, but I can't just dismiss it. I can't just wave it off as if it's inconsequential. It is consequential. I might not like it. You might reject Jesus. You might reject church. You might reject the kingdom. But you can't pretend that it's nothing. And that's the mark of a, of a good faith community. That's the mark of the presence of the kingdom of God. Stuff is happening. Changes are happening. It's not nothing. Jesus should be easy to find and hard to follow, I think. Christian communities should be easy to access and kind of challenging to participate in. You know, warm and real. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. What do you think? You get an amen? Amen. Two. amen. I think right now the world has a desperate need for real Christians and for real churches. And we're entering a season, man, in which the church has got to be for real. It's got to be for real in all the ways that count. You know, it's got to be for real uh, uh, with grace. It's got to be for real in its application of supernatural power and the supernatural presence of God. It's got to be for real in, in the sense that all Christians have to be ministers. This is an all-play game. We've all got to be on mission. And it's got to be for real in terms of the way it lives in material generosity. You have to 
we have to challenge ourselves to do that in a real way uh, because the world needs that right now. The world's going to have to see the difference in the church. And if we pull it off, man, this is going to be a time of, of great harvest, better harvest than we have seen in our lifetimes, I'm pretty sure. Uh, right now, you know, the world is pretty shut down. We're in quarantine. We are in a time of reflection. It's not a time of inaction because I think all sorts of really cool things are going on, particularly around Blue Water. I, I hear so many stories of, uh, of good things happening for people, good outreach happening, people joining our number, even though they've never actually been to a public church gathering. That is fantastic. But it's a time of reflection nonetheless, in which I think God is, is preparing. God is speaking to us. God is calling to us. And I think when we come out of the shutdown, we're going to be realer than we've ever been. Pardon my grammar and syntax there, but we're going to be more for real than we've ever been. And that's great because the spirit is with us. And that is exactly what the season calls for. A big part of this is going to have to have to do with, you know, how we handle ourselves in material generosity, but there will be other parts of it as well. We're going to be called to be a for real church. I think it's going to be scary. And I think it's going to be awesome. So, Father God, I pray that you would be a for real God in our midst. Strike us, God. Hopefully not exactly like you struck Ananias and Sapphira, but I pray that you would strike us with the ability to see clearly with the ability to repent of the things that we need to repent from, to walk away um, from false comforts and addictions, to walk away from pretensions. Because the stakes are high and the presence of God is high. And so we want our, we got our, our lives to be for real. Uh, I just feel uh, it's the spirit of the Lord really impressing upon me uh, that, that this week he will be visiting uh, some of us um, with an invitation to walk away um, from, from harmful addictions and harmful comforts uh, that we need to walk away from. We'll just be throwing it in the can, throwing it in the trash can. There'll be time to reflect There'll be time to give yourself the personal space and attention that you need to make personal transformation. And it's gonna run, it's gonna run the gamut. People will be quitting smoking, uh, I see. People will be uh, quitting harmful patterns of eating, you know, simple things like that. Well, simple to describe, perhaps not simple to do. I think people will be called to, uh, to give up false dreams, dreams that you suspect are false. I see the Lord um, calling someone to give away a false dream about career and ambition and calling you instead to the serious work of the kingdom of God. Uh, Father, I pray that you would speak plentifully to individuals about the details. Let your kingdom come, Lord, and let your will be done in each of our lives. Uh, we are at your disposal. Only, Lord, be close. Speak supernaturally. 
your servants are listening. In Christ's name, amen. Hey friends, thanks so much for joining your faith with ours in this hour of worship. Remember that if you've got a prayer request or maybe you'd even like to pray with someone to say, I wanna follow Jesus today, you can email julie at bluewatermission.org Include your name and your phone number, and someone will be really happy to call you back and pray with you between 10.30 and 11 today. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You have power in your hands and in your tongue to release and to bind up the hearts of those around you. As we say goodbye today, we're going to listen to an amazing rendition of the blessing sung by worship leaders from around Hawaii. And as you listen to it, hear it, God giving you the power to be the blessing where you are this week. Aloha, and we will see you soon.